episode three, where today we're discussing uh, inducing limb generation in different animals, including mammals, which is the research hub title, but the actual preprint uh, is called A Conserved Strategy for Inducing Appendage Regeneration. Um, just a quick overview of this paper. Uh, essentially, the authors were curious about what biochemical uh, physiological reactions result in limb regeneration. Um, this happens over a bunch of different species on the evolutionary tree, and they're seemingly unrelated at times. So the authors wanted to see if there was a uh, uniting mechanism behind this uh, limb regeneration. So uh, long story short, they surveyed a bunch of different animals, found um, a concoction, which in one theory... Second. One second, Patrick. Why don't yeah. we discuss their pr proposed theoretical uh, ideas for, you know, for what could be the unifying factor between these animals? They kind of briefly glance over it in the introduction. And I think they discuss that the three dri driving factors are age. So the younger animals tend to be more regenerative, uh, grow throughout the lifetime. So if a given animal grows their entire life, there is no no fixed uh, amount to amount of to, to the tissues that they can grow. For example, they give an example of a segmented insect. If it's if it's bound to only grow 52 segments, it's going to be less regenerative than an insect that can grow any number of segments based on how it feeds and how long it lives. And also the type of thermoregulation. So cold cold blooded animals creatures they typically regenerate regenerate more often than otherwise, right? And they kind of make a unifying explanation or suggestion that I don't exactly agree with. It's not very elegant. They say it's just basically energy expenditure, right? So I, I, when you're young, you spend a lot of energy trying to grow your body. When you grow your body your entire life, you spend a lot of energy. And when you have to regulate the heat of your body manually based on the environment at all time you also takes a lot of energy and i guess this is where their title of the paper comes right from the conservative strategy so it's basically conserved strategy really uh, refers to energy i guess yeah that's super interesting um it, it kind of makes sense right like the three things they say like the younger, the stronger the re regeneration. Like if you're a fetus, you know, I assume like your stem cells are more revved up and like ready to create different tissues. Um, growth throughout lifetime too, that's like, um, it makes sense. Like if you're continually adding stuff, thermoregulation, that doesn't click in my brain though. Like, what do you think is going on here? Well, I'm not entirely sure. I The first two factors, they kind of beg the question how it relates to longevity, right? Like the regeneration itself, if it's, if a certain species lacks a regeneration, doesn't mean it's 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 bad. Doesn't mean that there is a, you know a reason it should be restored. Maybe it was removed for a reason, right? And I think in general, in uh, mass media, in X Men, regeneration equals longevity, right? So basically, this is very appealing and simplistic idea. If you can regenerate your tissues, there is no need for you to grow old. Right, because you, you just get more and you know younger tissue every time you know you recover it. But that's not necessarily the case. 
right? Not necessarily the case that an, an organism can do it, right? So, for example, with the brain development, a lot of the axons are actually located and they are situated in such a way that they are, you know, they're really long. They cover, you know, the entirety of the brain from one side to another. And the thing is, it would be impossible to grow such large axons in the entirely developed brain, right? It's just because it's so huge, right? When, when your brain is pea-sized during the development process, it's easier for, you know, it's a, a small, uh, you know, small entity of axon to grow from one, one side to another and then just kind of like increase in size with, with the brain itself as opposed to, you know, the older, larger state. So I guess here the, our conclusion would be that regeneration actually is maybe the opposite of longevity, right? So you can't just regrow tissue. In a way, actually, it may be negatively correlated to longevity, right? The, the faster you go through the cycles of tissue, I guess the more maybe telomeres you lose in the process and maybe you know like generally longer living organisms they're kind of like slow they don't do a lot of stuff they just chill they don't eat they you know some of the most long living uh, bacteria are found on the you know underneath the bedrock of the ocean whereas they just do nothing basically <laughs> So I guess, Anton, what did you think of the rest of the study? Like kind of um, with the theory in mind of how they came to the specific factors. Because didn't, um, didn't they look inside of one of the animals to try and determine like uh, what factors helped it regenerate at the beginning? Well, they looked free. They, they used free species, right? They... What was it? Euphira, Ephora, that small jellyfish like creature with multiple appendages, kind of like starfish, <laughs> right? And they were cutting its appendages and seeing how they grow. And also, they had the, the fly and then they had the mouse. And they were basically cutting them and seeing what, what helps them promote the regeneration. So, so uh, you know. Correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I didn't understand this right, but I thought uh, what they did, and I've got it, uh, I don't know if you have the uh, research hub page open, but um, they talk about how they screened various molecular and physical factors. Um, it's like the maybe second or third paragraph. Um, so I think, I think they actually like, you know, did some kind of screening process in the jellyfish to try and establish uh, like what compounds would then they'd end up using like to see if it could like cause regeneration in Drosophila and the mice. Hmm. Well, the control, the control conditions are kind of didn't, they didn't, they weren't as appealing, interesting to me that were like, okay, fine. You took care of that. 
So what and it, and you realize it's not the issue. So what is the issue? So I kind of glanced over it to be honest. So I was more yeah. interested in what what works, right? So what you're describing is what doesn't work, what doesn't affect. Okay, I'm good, fine. I, I'm 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 good without knowing the list of all six billion <laughs> factors in your genetic composition. Well, do you think that's what they did? Was it like, because it seems pretty nuts to be able to like figure out what can make something regenerate. So did they have like six billion different you know compounds and just throw them into the jellyfish? It says uh, the one phrase, which I thought was a little ridiculous was um, after three years of screening, only three factors emerged that strongly induced arm regeneration. So that's like three years worth of experiments that they don't even really talk about how they did them. I, yeah, I don't know. The way they worried, it kind of seems like it's not, it wasn't their screening. They kind of like looked in the literature and saw what was established. The part that they did, they, they basically, right, they, they mutilated, they cut off the appendages of one, one of these three creatures, let's say the jellyfish thing, right? And they just, you know, exposed them to several factors based on this screening and were looking to see which one helped right and so for the jellyfish like the least i have in front of me was the one actually the thing the thing that i want to discuss discuss first and because they don't replicate this they, they don't test this in other animal models but i think it's crucial the water flow was not just one of the factors was the was the enabler of other factors think about it this way the water flow is what makes this jellyfish move it move its limbs right so if but think about it this way right if your if your arm gets cut off right your body your body like panics and tries to rebuild do something about it right and uh the, the full regeneration might actually be impossible right so it's it's a long and uh, you know energy demanding process and in the meanwhile maybe it's just easier to you know cauterize the the, the wound and make something out of it right it, at least you won't bleed to death and so it's very similar here it actually there needs to be a demand in the functional activity of the appendage you are trying to regrow right if you're a jellyfish and your arm just got cut off and you're trying to regrow it you will be more likely to regrow it if there is a reason to regrow it Right, if there is a water flow around you and you're trying to move your little arm, and that makes it possible, I guess it's because a lot of the things we're going to discuss here is relates to you know to the signaling, right? And uh, if the body doesn't know it need, needs to grow the arm back, I guess no other factor will make a difference. When you say a need, do you, is that like a evolutionary benefit of having the limb, or like? literally for that individual creature like you need to move somewhere and you need the limb to do it yeah based on this particular finding i think the second right so i think it's uh this particular individual organism when you are basically basically think think from the perspective of, of the regenerating jellyfish body right you're thinking okay do we need to regrow this particular arm or do we not right because regrowing it is going to be long not guaranteed hard a lot of energy and if there is no water flow around so basically you can just chill the entire life 
maybe you don't even need this arm. So why bother, you know, regenerating it? That's super interesting. It makes sense, though. But that doesn't work in the individual level. Are you talking about the uh, like the evolution level, like you have multiple generations? Because yeah, because like, uh, the limb doesn't have uh, like that uh, you know decision mechanism to oh I'm gonna go gray or grow or not. Is that well? Well, it just might, right? So we are go don't forget we are in the weird, weird, weird domain of undifferentiated uh, cells, right? So. I personally have very little idea about how the undifferentiated cells in our body just end up in a place where they need to be and they become the tissue that they need to become, right? If you think about it this way, then your arm might indeed know and decide that it needs to regrow, right? Because it's just they, they're going to, the undifferentiated cells are going to circulate around the blood flow till they end up near uh, a tissue that's signaling that it needs to proliferate, right? And it's gonna recruit those uh, available undifferentiated cells and uh, they're gonna grow into something. So in a way, if your, your brain or whatever they have for a brain, the jellyfish is, you know, is trying to stimulate an arm that no longer exists, I'm guessing that the, the, the scar tissue or whatever there is there is, you know, getting this stimulation that promotes attraction of these undifferentiated cells. Does it make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Because normally, like, tissues trying to move uh, get more, at least in humans, I'm sure it's different in, uh, you know, jellyfish, but you get more blood flow. Like, if you exercise your leg, you get more blood flow there. You get more glucose, more nutrients. So... The mechanism checks out in my head. Also, it's like the basis of the rehabilitations. Like, if you get injured, you have to like do a rehab, rehab a lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great example. You know, in many cases, when a person gets injured, and let's say there is a neurological component to it, maybe the peripheral nerves are damaged, or the associated motor area is damaged. The, the recovering person should be able and needs assistance in this in the stimulation of this of the limb that they are trying to recover because the, the, imagine the arm itself initially can be fully intact right it can be healthy and be fantastic but because the brain can stimulate it properly even eventually right eventually it will because of the you know lack of usage it will you know degrade over time and so what needs to be done is i think people in in physiotherapy you know you can stimulate it you know with with specific exercises or you can stimulate it with you know electric current any way you can so you can let the rest of the organism know that this particular tissue is needed and is useful right So, so I guess one other thing I was confused about this paper is, um, so they established that like sucrose and the leucine can like stimulate this regeneration, like even in species that don't have regeneration. Um, but are they suggesting that like in species that do have regeneration, these are the like 
natural factors that caused this to happen? Or is it like a different mechanism that then is taken advantage of? I think I think that's what they're claiming. Yeah, that is the same mechanism. It kind of feels awkward. So basically, you know, among other factors that they found was, like you said, leucine and insulin, that just the food itself, which is interesting, right? Because food itself causes the, you know, insulin uh, production. But like the insulin itself, in addition to food, had a unique effect. Uh, and you know, it's not surprising, right? Because their basic idea is energy expenditure, right? So the area that needs to regrow need to be active, need to, you know, need to essentially consume energy, right? Or demand energy. And uh, they are, you know, among other factors that you can, the sucralose, right, is, is sugar, right? So basically yeah. they... Yeah, basically, they're trying to promote the anabolic response. And I think it makes total sense because, you know, the anabolic steroids in humans were initially created to, do you know, do you know historically why were they created? No, how come? To treat the burn victims. They oh. stimulate the, you know, the burn skin regrowth. So it kind of, I was kind of, had this question as I was reading, why use natural but not as efficient mechanisms to stimulate you know anabolic processes compared to what we have, you know, what other substances we have at our disposal in medicine? Well, I guess the the reason why is to I don't know if anabolic steroids actually will cause like uh, limb regress, like this uh, the rat at the end getting the extra like portion of its digit back. Mm -hmm. Probably so, not. Yeah, I, I have no idea. But I, uh, my assumption was it's like like it's not just necessarily like uh, healing tissue, like uh, uh, you know if you have like a surgery or something that's scar tissue, but it's like oh, if you cut off your finger <laughs> like you make a bad bet and bookie comes and cuts off your pinky you know you can just <laughs> like you know like oh just take some leucine and some sucrose mm -hmm. no big deal the thing that i was looking for which i couldn't find is the uh like concentration of leucine and sucrose like is it is what they used even close to what could happen naturally like can the starfish like or i guess the jellyfish like redirect that level of concentration different to its like specific limb that needs it and if it can do that that's like pretty cool to have a circulatory system that can like pick and choose what compounds go to certain parts like i'm not sure that humans could do something similar naturally I mean, I can eat a lot of sugar if the doctor asks me. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of hilarious how it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, you do take your sugar pills to regrow your arm. <laughs> mm -hmm. They did say that there is a very defined ceiling effect, right? So, and this, okay, they actually mentioned in the context of the last factor that I remember. And this is one that was weird, actually, the hypoxia, right? Lack of oxygen. And okay, 
I know people do that actually in the gym. Like they they put bandages on their arms while they are curling or something to create this mild, you know, deficiency of oxygen. And people also, well, professional athletes that can afford it go high up in the mountains, live there for a while and train in, you know, low oxygen environment. So I guess there is something there, right? That, you know, the proliferation of any tissue that's stimulated by lack of oxygen. Blood flow restriction, super interesting, the way that works. I'm, mm -hmm. uh, I'm a big fan of that because it's like you can, like if somebody has a knee injury or something, you can have them have the same type of workout they were used to pre-injury just using like 10 pounds or something. Like it's just uh, you have to lift much less weight to get similar effects using the blood flow restriction. Um, I guess the one difference is though that like uh, – if you're increasing uh, muscle mass, in theory, that's like um, one cell type. You know, like the, even like it's, I'm pretty sure you don't even gain new cells. It's just like they swell up. Um, and here, like you're uh, creating multiple different germ lines, like a limb, right? It has like nervous tissue and connective tissue. It doesn't have any like digestive tissue, I guess, but that's two separate like lineages of, you know, what is, stem cell can go into and i think that's pretty nuts where it's like we're we're like somehow taking some like earlier cell type or maybe like reprogramming some type of cell type and then uh it goes back to a state so far back that it can go down to like pretty different lineages yeah in in, in rats uh it regrew nail beds so I feel like it's one thing to regrow cells that are near to like the injury location, like the muscle tissues, vessels, things like this. But like the nail was just cut out completely. There was like no nail cells there. Yeah. And it just, like grew out of nowhere because it's mm -hmm. supposed to be there. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It was it was super weird to me. I I, I still don't understand, right? It, like you said, it's just the upregulation of anabolic function doesn't doesn't guarantee that you'll start you'll start growing limbs, right? You'll start growing a tissue, right? It can be muscle, mm -hmm. it can be fat tissue. How do you make it possible so the the organism goes and tries to restore? That's actually very mind-blowing. It tries to restore a certain body schema. Mm -hmm. Not even your child body schema, your adult body schema. That's weird. That shouldn't be in the... Wait, that should that be in the gene? So there should be... There should be a system in which the genes understand what age you are currently at and what size of the tissue needs to be grown back. You wonder if it's like, if you could follow this through a bajillion people, if it's like the regenerated part gets cancer 20 years, you know, later on average or something mm -hmm. like the, so, um, I think stem cells are fascinating. It's crazy to me how like, like this is sucrose and leucine. So it's not like, you know, this isn't some crazy drug that, you know, some geniuses came up with somewhere, 
Um, I know like uh, retinoin, like vitamin A, has a lot to do with, it's either like can cause differentiation or maintaining a stem cell state. Like when you're like in a lab and you're trying to like keep a stem cell around, like you'd give it like something like really simple, like some, you know, vitamin, you know? So it's kind of crazy to me how it's like this stuff regulating like stem cells, you know, it's just normal compounds, you know, nothing crazy. Nami, you were saying? Oh, uh, just going back to the point that, you know, like the kind of like cells remember like where to go at this kind of stage. Like interesting thing is like we have, well, like this is my human, maybe it should be animal too, but I was thinking about teeth because I have bad teeth and I want to remove my, well, teeth, I guess. <laughs> uh, so like we have like child teeth, right? Like that's gonna eventually fall off. Like we have basically two these the kind of these so yeah what kind of these that we're gonna get like is that gonna be adult these all, all the time or so it's gonna fall off first or yeah it would be interesting and or maybe this doesn't work i'm not i'm not sure <laughs> for these um but some animals are pretty good at regenerating these so yeah i kind of i was just wondering that point <laughs> I'm actually hearing that there are some developments in this you know, new procedure where they will try to, you know, make you grow your own teeth instead of planting the artificial ones. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's they, yeah, a lot of things happen with the teeth, yeah. So it's nice to have regenerated teeth. <laughs> right, but I guess, like, I guess... Like, okay, so if, let's say you get your limb removed or your tooth removed, and we are try, we'll try to regrow the exactly same tooth or limb back, it's not going to be the same. No way, right? Just even if we try to, like, fully clone it somehow, just because through big numbers and, you know, just small mutations here and there, and right, and small irregularities in how the, you know, the proteins are deployed and everything, it's going to be slightly different. You can't grow the same limb twice. <laughs> I, I wonder how similar like um, like skink tails are. Like when they lose their tail and then they regenerate it. If it's like, what's the variation there? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right, absolutely. That's actually that's. I think that's a question for us that we can actually look up. Right. So and they can partially answer the question between what the, the connection between longevity and regeneration. Like if if every complex body dies dictated by the telomere right system what happens to regrown tail is it is it a brand new baby tail and it's not old i can only speculate that probably partially it depends on like environmental factors like if you don't eat a lot maybe it's like skinnier and if you if you eat a lot it's like longer and thicker it's actually i think i am so glad you brought up the environmental factors and the seasons of nutrition that so they are feed, essentially they are overfeeding these you know mice and jellyfish and and flies with sugar right something that they probably wouldn't acquire in, in real life however it's interesting that the actual the production of stem cells 
is way more in the moments of starvation. They are not very, they're not particularly potent. They, I think, I don't think they're utilized for growth purposes in the moment of starvation. But when you do eventually find food, right? You find food, you eat it, you get a lot of insulin, and then you get the insulin growth factor that I think will utilize the accumulated stem cells or something. So it's actually like, it ben it's beneficial for you to follow the protocols or feeding that are uh, designed for your species, right? That you're, you're adapted to, right? It's likely that there are a lot of hidden mechanisms that we, don't, and we underutilize because we have shifted from the, you know, regular regimen or something. So I'm looking it up now, like the, the dosing and like, I have no idea what, um, a reference would be, but it says insulin and in concentration of, uh, 10 to three, uh, or 10 nanomolar to three millimolar and 500 nanomolar was the best for insulin. So we can look up and see if that's like actually realistic or not. Um, and leucine well, was, sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, th thinking logically that actually it can't be far outside of the normal range, right? Because they would just be, they, they would, they would die, right? If too much insulin, insulin, they would just uptake all the sugar in the bloodstream and would go into coma. So it's, it's within the normal range, I'm guessing. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Um... I just thought though, I'm looking through this now and don't you think you'd need different doses for the different organisms? Like it's, it's only listing one. I'm sure it's in here somewhere, but. Yeah, it, okay. So I'm actually not sure. So they use these different manipulations. So for example, the hypoxia one, they only used for jellyfish. It's possible that what you're reading, the insulin was only used for one of them. Oh no! Well, it's 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 used for jellyfish for sure. Mm. Yeah, it's one of these weird formats where they write an article and then kind of like toss all the method details in the supplementary materials. Yeah. And... I guess this is a preprint though, so it's probably like not the final structure that it'll eventually have. I mean, I'm guessing they are aiming for a certain journal, right? Because only some journals ask for a structure like this. So I, I, I'm guessing they have a particular journal in mind that they are trying to please. Oh, so going back to the what Olga said about the specific types of tissue, that's that's exactly what they say, right? So the originally, okay, I have it here. Originally, when they were determining where to cut off the, because it sounds weird <laughs> talking about cutting off mice fingers. Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> they have it pretty rough. I know they they've lost in poker or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, they're saying essentially, yeah, there are a lot of points where we can't cut, right? Because where a lot of vasculatures, nerves, 
there is a bone marrow cavity or a sesam sesamoid bone. Am I saying it right? Yeah, where previously, like if you cut there, it's not gonna grow back. Like the, the body doesn't know how, right? But then I think they say that this is the world first, where they were able to regrow the sesamoid bone. I don't know about the rest of it, but congrats. That's so interesting. I wonder, because they don't really talk about like, I guess they do do some of the pathways that go into it, but it would be like wicked fascinating to see if like the gene expression during the regeneration was the pathways that like they're saying, like the WNT and like the uh, bone morphogenic protein and all that. Probably. <laughs> I mean, the, the names of the genes themselves don't tell me much, but I, I, I've, I mean, I'm guessing if they saw regeneration, then the re regeneration responsive genes would, you know, take part in this. Still, yeah. I, I also looked up how it happens with like lizard's tails, and apparently, salamanders they actually regrow like the perfect replica of the tail, but oh. you can always tail by like if the tail was cut and regrown in lizards because their tails are all wrong for some reason. Wait, so salamanders grow perfect replicas and lizards grow weird tails? Yes. Huh. So, so apparently it can go both ways. Like some in some species it's a perfect replica and in some species it's just something working. So, okay, so I guess it gives us some insight in how it works, right? I think this further reinforces this idea that it's probably probably caused by the local signaling, as in like, okay, imagine you have 50% of the tail gone, right? So what happens is I, I'm guessing undifferentiated cells and whatever else there is that needs to be present for regeneration ends up in this, in the leftover part of the, of the, of the tail, right, and and the the cells right next to the missing cell probably signals, you know, what kind of cell should be right next to me, right? And if you think about it, this makes it so that the tail will be regrown similar to how the remaining tissue rema uh, remembers it, remembers it, you know, parenthesis. <laughs> It's kind of like how it makes sense for the remaining cells. I wonder if, like, uh, I'm sure there is a point where if you were to, like, like actually cut off a lizard's tail rather than have it drop it, where you lose the cells that actually cause the regeneration. Kind of like uh, in plants with, with a cone. Yeah, uh, I, I'm also wondering if like accuracy and precision is more costly because you need to like make it exact. And if you are a lizard and your tail exists just because someone can potentially chew on it and you can escape by, you know, self-sacrificing it, maybe it doesn't really matter how, you know, different or similar it matches to the rest of your body, right? So if it doesn't have to be perfect from evolutionary perspective, maybe you don't have to invest in the perfectionism. 
Well, there is a big gap between perfectionism and growing whatever, right? They just don't, they don't grow amorphous tumors there. They grow tail-looking stuff. I'm guess okay. So uh, okay, I actually looked it up for it because because Patrick what Patrick said reminded me of the growth cone in 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 uh, plants, and this is actually a thing for the neurons, right? Uh, the neurons do have growth cone, right? So they grow like branches, and actually it's very interesting how the growing neurons find their way if they're really long and they need to be somewhere else, like in a completely different part of the brain is in the development there is it's very interesting it grows slowly and actually it's it, its trajectory is dictated by the attractions of the of the nearby neurons like so basically other neurons that want it to to kind of like to grow uh, towards it they will uh, secrete this attractive substance that will you know make it more likely that it will grow tissue towards it so I'm, maybe it's similar in in the in the regeneration of, of of limbs right like imagine like you would have let's say a leftover bone right and this leftover bone will be damaged on one side and whenever there is a stem cell floating nearby it's gonna be like oh hey come over I'm missing something. Come over and become part of the bone cell. So one thing I was trying to look up just now and I couldn't find an answer to is, uh, do you guys know how old the mice were? Like, were these like full-grown adult mice or were they still like teenager, still growing mice where when you cut off the flange, like, is that bone still naturally growing and you're just like kind of helping it out? Or are you taking something that's like totally adult and done and causing it to grow? That's a good question on one hand. On one hand, that's a good question. On the other hand, it doesn't really matter for us because they have the control group. Right, so they are approximately the same age and all the results are actually relative, right? It's a proportion of how much the treatment group was more effective than the control group. So age would be zeroed out. Yeah, I guess I'm jumping way ahead where like maybe, you know, you can like, if somebody gets their arm blown off in war or something, like, can you help regrow their arm? And like, is it something that's only available to like teenagers? I guess we'll just have to send teenagers to war, but like, I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay, your solution is less humane than the solution I had in mind. So we have to master the longevity first and complete manipulation of age. And then if you need to regrow your arm, we just send you back to to like two weeks old, and then you regrow all your limbs as nor as expected, and then we grow you back instantly. So this kind of brings up this is a little bit away from the paper, but I was thinking about like what's the end result here, and yeah, like we're trying to regenerate limbs. So if I'm regenerating a limb does it make more sense for me to try and cause myself to regenerate it? Or, you know, should I just take some skin cells, turn it into stem cells, grow an arm in a lab somewhere and then stitch it on, you know, like, like, 
the strategy difference between growing an arm and putting it on you versus having you grow an arm, you know, I wonder what's more doable. I was kind of thinking about it a little bit and I know that like human body is like very bugged in this sense because we can like some people grow teeth in their stomachs just by accident because like tissues are traveling through the body and grow like weird things here and there. So I feel like potentially for humans, it can be not like very safe. And another thing that concerns me is how exactly does it know where to grow stuff, right? So even if we look at let's say inflammation as potential signaling, right? We have this like injury location where something happened and probably we need to grow some, something here. Like how does it know where exactly? Because you can have potentially several inflamed sites, right? Well, that's an interesting question. I guess that Ideally, so think about this way, right? Regeneration is an alternative, alternative to immediate recovery or not immediate, but I don't know, makeshift recovery, right? So think about scarring tissue, right? If I cut off your finger, you need to stop the bleeding, right? You, you, you can't afford to start slowly recreating the tissue and growing the finger back as, as before. Right, because you'll need to build something else there. You'll need to build scarring tissue there, right? And uh, basically, it reminds me of how like you can break your leg, and the and it will grow back wrong, and uh, the doctor will have to break it again, right? So to grow it back properly. So I'm guessing if you let's say you if you have lost a finger and it's already it's it's grown back. I mean, the, the, not not the finger grown back, right? The, like there is new skin there and everything. It can you, you can't regenerate. So I'm guessing you, the, the doctor will have to guide the process by cutting open the the skin and re-damaging the the bone marrow and, 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 and nerves and everything so that they start attracting this stem cells or whatever and, and begging for reconstruction or however this process works. I imagine that the, the recovered, recovered digit, as in like covered in, covered in new skin, won't, won't signal that it needs to regrow, right? Because it's, it's already, it's already a solution, right? It's not a perfect solution, it's, but it's a solution. You're not bleeding. So how do you make it that a body part that already thinks it's it's normal, it's okay, should should go. Oh no, let's we need to go back to the bleeding wounded state and grow something different. I, I guess one thing like uh, in this study is they didn't like do an autopsy to see if there were any other limbs just growing at random places. You know, like they got they got you know the where the finger was, but like you know you might yeah it's maybe all of a sudden you get some bone like near your kidney or something. Interestingly enough, I think what you were asking can be partially answered by the first study with the jellyfish 
fish. So I think there was this thing where you delete a certain number of limbs and these factors, the, the regrowth factors affect them differently. So for example, I have this written down some somewhere. Okay, so for example, the insulin, like if you cut off six limbs, the insulin will make it more likely that you regrow multiple limbs, but they will kind of be shorter than the original one. While hypoxia will make it that one limb will grow back, but it's gonna be full length. It's gonna be longer than the others. And they they admit that they don't know how these factors interact. They they admit that they're different and they you know provide different signaling, I'm guessing. It didn't strike me when I first read this, but now that we're talking about it, uh, how nuts is it that insulin does something in a jellyfish? Like, isn't insulin like it hits the liver and muscles and like your pancreas? Like, what what's you know what receptor is it hitting in a jellyfish? Like, do they regulate their glucose? And if, is a, it the same protein all the way through up to humans that does it in everything? Like, that's a nuts right. thing. That's okay. I've, Okay, I, I am not prepared to make a conclusive answer here, but I do know that surprising number of, of uh, hormones and proteins that are still regulating our complex bodies are present in like almost the simplest organisms. Like I think the, what was the other one? I think the adrenaline, right? Adrenaline is one of the other ones that's like everywhere in everyone. So I'm not surprised that insulin is right there as well. And the other thing you said earlier too is like uh, insulin, insulin-like growth factor. I feel like you mentioned that. Um, I know that can also stimulate like growth hormone receptors. So maybe it's like some kind of off-target, like similar receptor that's in the, um, I guess, jellyfish. You know, it's like not exactly insulin, but it's like more like growth hormone or something. Not sure. Nami, what do you want to say? No, I was just going to say, Patrick, why are you wondering that jellyfish get high diabetes? Yeah. <laughs> no polluting chocolate bars in the ocean. <laughs> I'm actually guessing that they have the exact same damn insulin that we do. That's one of the weird things. Like some of the, some of the hormones we use are so ancient and and you can do a whole lecture on some of the not no not not hormones but just mechanisms or solutions like for for the body structure or you know how things are uh interacting are ever present in all organisms starting from like a yeast cell to to humans it just works. It just works. You you can't you can't beat it. It just works. <laughs> yeah, but it's not broken. Don't fix it. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. One thing I was wondering if I may insert. <laughs> uh, I totally unrelated, but uh, I was interested in the psychological aspect of it, right? So I think it speaks to the question of like uh, Patrick, your question about. Is it better to have a grown limb attached to your lost hand or you just grow by yourself? Because I'm thinking about this uh, phenomenon 
uh, phantom limb. Like when you lo lose your uh, your arm, like you feel like you're still there, and you, it hurts. Like um, people report that, you know, that's the thing. It's it's still there, but I know it's not there, but it still hurts and like that. Like and so um, in the context of this paper, right? Like somehow the brain to me somehow brain is kind of ready for it <laughs> for it to grow back maybe i'm not sure so in that sense um if the brain is ready and the process might be there according to this paper like growing back by itself is kind of ready to go approach because somehow like you gather bring that sensation back you still have that sensation so you have like that control so that I don't know or maybe it's not not the case maybe you might have this like the third <laughs> one two second beam I'm not sure since uh leave but I don't know how that feels like but I'm curious about that generally speaking <laughs> but you know we, we can't must ask uh, mice how they feel like yeah that's okay that's I think that's perfectly fall in line with the jellyfish uh, water flow, right? You still need to functionally try to have this limb to regrow it. So maybe to maybe the phantom pain is a very cruel leftover mechanism from from the species that we are, you know, immediately neighboring with genetically that can regrow limbs and they experience this sensation to guide this you know signaling system where to grow the you know the lost tissue but now we can't but we still experience it have you ever seen how like the homunculus i think it's called like the the, the penfaltation penfalt homunculus yep yeah how, how that changes like when you have an amputation and then, like, I think I've seen stuff where people will have, like, prosthetics put back in that have some kind of sensory input. And, like, uh, your your brain is, like, uh, it's always adjusting to what it feels. Mm -hmm. Like, it, you know, it fills the gaps. And, like, it, yeah, the phantom wind thing is it's pretty crazy. It, it makes me think, like, almost even, like, I don't even want someone to regrow me an arm in a lab. I just want a synthetic titanium, you know, metal alloy arm, you know, that's like gets Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and has some speakers in it. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I might be, I may be wrong about this, but I think I've heard that uh, usually in a lot of cases, at least uh, phantom pain is a result of how injury was developed, like how exactly cut was made and how stamp was ma made also. So, and, and usually it happens like, it, it develops way after injury after like stamp was made so at this point your brain kind of like not your brain your body is already lost a limb like really lost a limb there is like no no way you can do something with that if for example you lose your finger you put it on ice you go to 
uh, I don't know, operation room and you get it back in like next, I don't know, 48 hours, you usually don't get phantom pain because you just don't have enough time to develop it. So I'm wondering if in this situation, when you start like regenerating a limb right away, it also doesn't happen because you're like not losing it for long enough to your body starts having this issue. Well, that's something for you to look up in the in the lizard <laughs> encyclopedia, right? Mm -hmm. So when they lose the tail, do they start growing the tail back immediately, or is it kind of like two stage? Stage one, eliminate the the you know the bleeding grow a stump there grow some scar tissue and then run away recover rest eat something and then start regenerating tail i think some did not regenerate tails at all and these uh crabs they also talked about like crabs that lose claws uh most of them do not regenerate them but when they do, does it happen? Does it start immediately or does it, is there kind of like a first response to, to get some scar tissue to just run away? And then kind of like maybe a week later you start read, and they're actually talking about it. They're not just saying undifferentiated cells, they're saying redifferentiating cells. And this is, can be actually the answer to our early discussion to what happens if you already have a stump there, right? Yeah. Ideally, some creatures can just make it so, yeah, hello, scar tissue, we no longer need you, become something else. How badass is that? Yeah, and what happens in the in ones that do not regenerate anything at all? Like, is there some kind of decision that is be being made right after you lose a limb? Like, okay, we have enough resources right now to grow something, or we don't. So let's make scar tissue and forget about it. Yeah, totally. Definitely, when you pose a question like that, there is definitely quote-unquote decision made by the body. It can be like situity you know it can be something stupid like you try you attempt to regrow it oh and you realize that doesn't grow fast enough right so there is not enough nutrients for you to so basically it can be that the, the process itself is pretty stupid and dumb doesn't know anything right so maybe the the scar and the tail start growing and competing with each other and and if if it so happens that you have enough nutrients to grow uh uh a tail tail outgrows the scar tissue and becomes a, a you know a regrown tail and if you are maybe starving then the scar tissue will take over and there is going to be a you know, lost opportunity for regrowing tail also like do ritas and salamanders like can like has anybody tried to put the lost tail back right away then <laughs> do they attach I did it as a kid, but wasn't very successful. Okay. <laughs> In a more precise manner, maybe. <laughs> maybe if you like, if you saw it together, attach nerve to nerve, vessel to vessel. Right. Like going back to the finger, losing finger metaphor, like running with the finger with the bucket and, you know, with a of ice. 
Huh, I wonder actually, okay, I think you're onto something. I wonder if when the the lizard loses the tail, maybe because they need they need to spare the you know the the the, the associated brain areas and make make them interact with the new tail maybe they kind of like mentally cut it off they're like okay you're you're now a vacant motor area you should not feel any tail other than this new tail that's starting to grow out and maybe actually if you re reattach the tail it's gonna be really weird for them and they you know won't use it anyway shall we look up papers on phantom pain in lizards phantom pain and 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 real real tails yes so one other thing that i thought was a little confusing is did they try this with glucose was it just sucrose that was able to like cause regeneration i'm sorry i was i was uh <laughs> I'm looking up how to read that. <laughs> what what do you say? Um I know like uh so sucrose I think is a disaccharide. Like it's two glucose molecules stuck together. And um like when you eat that, it normally gets broken down into individual glucoses and in your bloodstream it's like mostly just glucose. And so I'm curious if they tried this with just glucose or was it just sucrose that caused the regeneration? And like, do you even normally have sucrose in your bloodstream to a degree that like it would actually do this? Or is something like funky going on where like maybe your liver like shoots out like some sucrose store or something that it hasn't totally digested? I guess I'm curious if they tried it with glucose and if that worked or if it was only sucrose. Okay, so they're saying sucrose was used because insulin is proteolytically digested in the mammalian gut. What does that mean? Because, so you can't, I guess, feed someone insulin because they'll just digest it and you'll get like amino acids in your bloodstream. I don't know what that has to do with sucrose though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you'd think they would have had to try glucose, right? Like, and it probably didn't work. An assumption on my part, but. Or it could be that, you know, it, it's whatever. They are like, okay, this is basically the same substance. Then this one is maybe cheaper or easier to administer or something. I don't know. Yeah, I guess the difference is one's normally there in high concentration and the other one's not. So like if it's not normally there, then maybe some other like process is going on that like dumps all the sucrose into your blood. Like when your arm gets cut off, like maybe like your sucrose stores are what determine whether you regenerate or, uh, you know, just form scar tissue. Mm. Sucrose is used because it's <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make much sense. All these just meta comment, but I have all these questions useful to be posted on Research Hub. 
Uh, yeah, we totally should. I'll go through, and when I listen to the audio, I'll add all the questions in. I was going to do it live, but I'm looking through the paper and stuff. Cool. Yeah, that's a great yeah. idea, though. We need to summon the offers and explain it to us. Meanwhile, I didn't find uh, how exactly lizards uh, grow tails in terms of like scarring tissue and all, but apparently they very often sprout more than one tail. Yeah, does that? And, and, and they do sprout up to six at the same time. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah so, so it's really big, buggy. So you, it, it's, it probably hints at the idea that cancer is a real problem if we do start doing this. Yeah, I was also thinking about like if we try this technology in humans at some point of like risk of things like cancer and endometriosis, for example, like when you have uh, cells growing when they're supposed to be growing, but it's but they multiply too much or overgrow too much, which is also a potential issue. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, that's the problem, right? That, that's the problem with, with uh, a lot of the longevity and regeneration stuff. Like if you're trying to help stuff grow, then we start realizing that, oh, there is actually a reason our organism prevents them from growing. Okay. That's a future drug takers problem right yeah yeah <laughs> right now we just grow grow more more arms, more yeah. arms you'll, more. you'll get through the clinical trial that's the short term but i mean that actually reminds me yeah it's so weird like when something grows back is it is it the same uh what what is this paradox called the fails shape or something? You guys familiar with it? So the, the fails shape paradox is basically if you have a ship made of wood and you gradually repair it piece by piece and eventually go through the entirety of the ship and not a single piece of wood is the same. Is it the same ship or not? If you regrow a new arm, new second arm, both legs, some gut, maybe some parts of the brain, is it still you? I use the same person you were seven years ago because every cell in your body has changed. That's a great question in terms of the brain. So in some parts of the brain, I think the two that are well established are, you know, the hippocampus, the memory, and the olf olfactory bulb, that's the smelling region, there is a large turnover rate of neurons. The neurons, I mean, the, the connection between neurons change everywhere in the brain, but the bodies of the neurons only grow in some parts of the brain, as far as we know. And in hippocampus, it makes sense because there is a turnover of, of memories. Right, we form new memories, we forget old memories, old, old cells die, new cells survive. I think I've, I've seen a number of like, your hippocampus is 60% is new by the, by the day you die. 
60% of it is new. You weren't born with it. And the visual factor bulb, I think the smell, I might be wrong. I think the smell is particularly vulnerable. So you can like smell something uh, really poisonous or whatever. And it's going to like mess with your uh, olfactory system and you will need to be replaced partially. <laughs> and yeah, but some areas, most areas that can't, can't afford to regrow it, they were formed, they were, it was only possible to form them when you had a pea-sized brain, right? Remember, it has to grow in a particular location, has to be of particular size, okay, has to be very long. So you can't realistically regenerate those, right? So if we do ever reach a moment where we are like, okay, we, humans are regenerating stuff, then the next question will be like, okay, so which of our stuff is regeneratable? Like, can you regenerate an ear? Can you regenerate, a, you know, a, a, a lip? Can you regenerate a, a foot? We, we regenerate livers pretty successfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, so it could be the, the question could be completely different, right? So here we are trying to find a parallel between the species and try to use what works for other species on, you know, on different species. We can completely change the, the, the scope here and be like, okay, what works for one organ? Why doesn't it work for other organs? Why can't we make our entire body liver-like or hippocampus-like, right? I think they do do some stuff with like the, the induced pluripotent stem cells where it's like you can push cell types back and then push them forward into, you know, whatever your preferred lineage is. Hmm. I'm not sure if they have like every cell type, but I think it's like, like, um, I'm trying to think of the exact disease they use it for. Uh, but you can take skin cells and push it back and then Maybe it's it's a uh, it's like immune system stuff, like you can turn them into like uh, specific populations of white blood cells and then put them back into people. Oh yeah, that's what Olga mentioned earlier, right? Would it be better to regrow your arm somewhere else and then reattach it, or grow in your own body? Hey, in vivo versus in vitro just reached a new horizon, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'd prefer yeah. if they took like Arnold Schwarzenegger's like skin cells and regrew me an arm, <laughs> you know, rather than mine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think people do make like skin grafts in, in in the labs, and I'm wondering if like success rate is better with made up like skin grafts versus just you know trying to grow a new skin, let's say, on the burn victim. Yeah, I think there, it's really amazing. I mean, I haven't looked at it because obviously I'm not a medical uh, professional, but I think what they can do now, they can take the, the skin from somewhere else with the nerves, with the blood vessels, attach it to where it needs to be and leave it there. Okay, it's kind of like, it kind of will be like a huge 
ugly chunk for a while of uh, dead looking skin, but eventually it will grow and connect and it will have the normal coloration. You will feel it, it will be warm mm -hmm. and everything. Yeah, and in, in, in vitro, it's more controlled and less like possibilities of infections, let's say. So maybe growing up uh, arm in the in the lab will be more efficient. I'm guessing it's going to depend on the organ, right? So if the organ is particularly vulnerable when it's developing, like maybe we will ever reach a point where you can regrow an eye, like an entire eye, right? So I imagine having a 10% sized underdeveloped eye in your eye socket is, is problematic, right? So maybe you wait for it to, to ripen up <laughs> in the lab. Oh man, and pa Patrick, Patrick, uh, this is his second notion that he wants, uh, he, he doesn't want to regrow, he wants to modify, right? He needs the cyber arms, Arnold Schwarzenegger skin or something. <laughs> I'm even thinking with the eyes, right? Like, you know, like I need glasses and stuff. Like I'd so yeah. much rather have robot eyes, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, also human eyes suck. Yeah. We, we are, okay, think about this way, right? So. There are a lot of paradoxes, right? We can't, it's really hard for us to conceptualize things or comprehend things that are outside of our immediate sensory range. So we can kind of like cognitively understand that there are other colors that we don't see, but we don't really, I think it's called Marie's room. Like you can, you can if you've never seen color red, you can read about color red all you want. It's not gonna be a true experience. So maybe if you get implanted with this shrimp eye, you know which one I'm saying that, ha that that can see like millions or billions of colors, or maybe you'll have like a completely new era of uh, art of painters who can paint in you know unseen, unheard of colors that we couldn't comprehend before. But maybe these colors exist only on the ocean floor where this shrimp lives. Well, then, then we will grow. We will just grow, you know, gills, and all move there to see to see the exhibition. It reminds me of like how bees can see the uh, different patterns on flowers that uh, are ultraviolet light. Like it'd be cool if you could just switch to UV mode and then like see you know different spectrum. Well, it's interesting though that we uh, we can appreciate the sensory differences, but we don't appreciate the perceptual differences, right? Because you don't even register in themselves. You, like you, f you see objects as objects, you, don't, you see shapes and everything, right? But there are a lot of systems that make it possible for you. Maybe when, when, when a bee looks at a ball, it's not, it's not the same round, it's not the same sphere for it, right? So maybe our perception of the sphere is unique to us. So, so do you think you could have like phantom vision pain if you like got an implant that lets you see UV light, your brain gets used to it, like your visual cortex adjusts or something, and then you take it away, you know, like. Well, I, I mean, I think, I think we don't actually need the technology to test that, right? We can talk about unique experiences, right? Imagine you, you would live you know, somewhere high up in, in the mountains and you would absolutely love the air there, the feeling like and everything just 
And then all of a sudden you have to move back after 20 years that you spent there. Are you going to miss it? Are you going to have phantom emotional pain? <laughs> well, I think I told you it's more than maybe, but uh, in cognitive psychology, uh, there's experiment. I think this is a real experiment or is this like anecdotal experiment? I'm not sure, demonstration, but there's like uh, where participants wear like the glasses, but everything like looks upside down. And like first, everybody's pretty confused. You cannot do anything, but over time, like they're just fine. Like seeing the, the thing upside down, they can just function normally. Yeah, but then you, you take them down and you're confused again. Yeah, yeah, right. It's, and I think they, you get kicked out of that reality if you wear these glasses and you look at the fire and the, and the fire behaves predictably in gravity, right? And then it's different. You, it, it triggers your brain. You're like, okay, this is not real. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's how we are born, right? We are born with upside down vision. You just adapt to it. That's a real fact, right? I'm not making it up. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it. Yeah. Wait, is that how you see the world? No. <laughs> yes. Half glass empty. Maybe it's only you, Anton. <laughs> hey, why are you upside down? I mean, <laughs> get back, get back to the floor. So I looked up the different uh, tissues that they use stem cells to regenerate in a lab uh, currently. And liver is number one. Um, you can do tissue repair. So like your retina in theory, like I think it's like macular degeneration, maybe you can do uh, stem cells into your retina and they regrow things. Um, cardiomyocytes. So if you have a heart attack um, or like any kind of damage to your heart tissue, you can get like conductivity back, red blood cells. And then they're doing clinical trials now um, for more eye stuff. But yeah, so it's like kind of a lot. Yes, that's interesting though. I mean, that kind of reminds me, we were talking about how does the body know where to deliver stuff, but this is actually the same issue that a lot of the developers of the you know the new drugs are facing so, so delivery system right if you need if you have this highly toxic component that needs to be delivered precisely to the tumor and nowhere else right yeah and they do all sorts of stuff right i think the newest edition is a smart nanoparticles that only get released in the presence of particular tissue type or signaling molecule Yeah, so I'm guessing the the future will be. Yeah, you you develop the signaling, you know, the delivery system. You pack in some agents that will cause the local. That's interesting, right? Local versus uh, global regeneration. It's one thing to let the organism know that you know you have a lot, enough insulin, you have enough, uh, you know, sugar and whatever. But then maybe we can complement it by delivering the specific signaling molecules to the site where it needs to be fixed. Or we'll just get cyber arms. <laughs> I think like this is so weird in terms of technology. I think these are actually branching paths, right? One is kind of like more digital, another is conquering the bioengineering and weaponizing it. 
one of my uh, favorite YouTube videos is one of this guy who had an amputation, like of most of his forearm, and he got a synthetic like forearm, like a you know a prosthetic where it plugs into all of his motor and sensory nerves, and uh, he hacked it to be attached to a synthesizer so he could play the keyboard with the nerve impulses for moving his forearm. And he, he's like sitting there, he's just plugging into the keyboard, not pressing any of the keys and just like playing songs with his brain using the nerve impulses, which is, I'll, I'll send you guys that later. It's crazy. So is that the EMG like just electrodes or do they have like a specific electrodes implanted under the skin, do you know? Yeah, I think they they actually like connect it to your like the nerves that are still alive, like in the part of your arm that wasn't lost. So in theory, like your brain makes a connection with like when you send like a, a motor impulse down your arm, it like the prosthesis is able to recognize that and cause the same motion. Um, but this guy just like modded it to have different controls. I'm sure you could like play Xbox and stuff with it if you wanted to. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So I, I I mean with bionics, the you know the complexity of of the neural network that's you know recognizing the commands. So basically, you are in in your head. I, I've never tried it, but as far as far as I understand it, you just have to create kind of like this trigger sensation or trigger mental state, right? So. It's kind of like a hotkey or shortcut. You're like, okay, every time I'm going to think about purple pigeon, it means, okay, neural network. It means I want to turn the music on or something. <laughs> every time I'm thinking about yellow crocodile, it means do something else. Well, that's like uh, the um, Neuralink demonstration with the monkey playing the video game where mm -hmm. he's he's just got the implant and I, that's got to like change your sensory perception right like if it's all of a sudden you can move a figure on the screen you know without having to do anything in your like actual body can we make this monkey buy bitcoin <laughs> probably better than me at it so yeah <laughs> <laughs> mm. Okay, I decided to Google if there are bionic tails for lizards. And I found the fundraiser. Oh no. Is uh, it is it for some, some someone is trying to raise uh twenty five hundred dollars for bionic tail for his lizards? Oh I was I was about to ask, is it some like profound popular lizard, like the Elton Jones lizard or something? It's just lizard. Apparently, it's very self-conscious about not having a tail. Okay, so if, if it's a unique lizard, what's the lizard name, though? It doesn't even say. It's just bearded dragon. Gonna be Adam Adam Jensen from Deus Ex. I, ju I just realized that this is a joke. Sorry. <laughs> it all has to start somewhere as a joke. <laughs> yeah.
I just posted the um, guy with the prosthesis uh, synthesizer in the chat. Man, that's actually, mm, I think about the, okay, we, are we have completely <laughs> derailed this conversation, but think about the potential, right? So when you're playing the piano, you're limited by your 10 fingers. But if you're playing the piano with your mind, you're only limited by, I'm probably limited by something else, probably by working memory and such, but more than 10, probably. You could be a one-man band and do the drums, mm. play guitar all at the same time. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Have you ever had this thing where, like, in your head, you can perfectly imagine the, like, the painting or the melody you want to produce, but then your, your arms kind of do the... <laughs> so maybe in the perfect world of the future your true imagination can be like transferred into the devices and just make it happen and so we can see the true potential of a lot of people that would be so cool okay so i guess uh to sort of wrap things up um what do you guys think their next experiment should be? Like, I feel like there's like a lot of stuff to do from here. Like, what what do you think is most exciting? Uh, I think they should definitely knock out this idea of is it just anabolic function or not, and by just giving them steroids, give them steroids and feed them well and see what happens. Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering, like, so with, yeah, it worked with, uh, uh, with the fish. So one of the limbs in some of the conditions just grew bigger than it's supposed to be. So I'm wondering if there is, like, any ceiling or how much can you just feed an animal with all this stuff? Can you grow... So basically, do you grow a really big finger on the red if you just feed it indefinitely? Or maybe it, it will start sprout more fingers? Damn, this is such a good question. Actually, I think it makes sense, right? Because if, it, if, if you're right, then what will need to happen is your doctor will need to be around and prescribe you the exact portions of food to to regulate the size of the limb, right? That you're growing, not too much, not too little. And given that we don't know if they all work the same, maybe maybe today we're gonna choke you a little bit, right? Because with uh, you know <laughs> lack of oxygen, it it becomes longer, right? And today you just have to we'll have to force feed you, right? Because it needs to be a little wider. Yeah, maybe there, there are like sensitive periods in which you have to like make blood vessels, in which you have to make skin, like uh, hair follicles, right? And maybe if you like decrease the dose somewhere or increase the dose, something goes wrong. Thank you.
Yeah, I agree. I guess trying to figure out like what's actually happening behind the scenes in the cells and then like taking that knowledge to maybe like uh, refine things a little bit further. I also feel like like it's a little bit lame to compare like the jellyfish regrowing its whole limb to the rat regrowing just a little bit of the end of its finger. You know, like how far away is this from like actual limb regeneration? You know, it feels pretty different value wise there. So I don't know, it's probably like another decade and a half of research, but yeah. And that's kind of direction that I kind of imagine too. It's just the functional and, you know, like subject experience, we can't get that, but maybe functional uh, of the distals. Like it says like, you know, they also have some similar muscle contractions you know, among the the jellyfish, but then yeah, like the would the mice um, use the the new limb in the same manner, or yeah, or any other body parts, right? Like they just this functionally the same. Maybe that's what I'm like interested in. Did did they try cutting off the mouse limb like at at the shoulder, and that didn't work, and then they moved all the way out to like the end of the distal phalange, or like did they go the other direction? I think they did the other direction. Yeah, I think they cut different proportion of the uh, mice's finger in two different conditions. And the most impressive results were in small injury side. Yeah, it's okay. It's uh, I think it's in figure six. Do we have it? Yeah, we do have it. much see yeah actually now that I look at the uh, the image it's it's a very humble segment definitely it's not shoulder <laughs> it's, it's not it's not even the entire uh, nail so then I wonder if there is even any like stem cell stuff going on or if it just is causing the tissue that's already there to regrow no i mean the the bone right the, what was the name of the bone the the sesamoid bone regrew so that's kind of a breakthrough but something is going on yeah i don't know well we what we need here is the assessment of the quality and functionality of the tissue that has regrown and so i like i'm looking at the images but i don't know is this a normal looking bone or is it mal malformed and unusable then if, if it is then what's the point in regrowing it It would be cool to get the author because it's like, hey, you know, how long until you're getting to the shoulder? <laughs> you know, like. Cool. So I guess, uh, do we think it'll replicate? I feel like it'll probably replicate. It seems like they did it in like a bunch of different types of animals, you know, if it's mammals and. Yeah, yeah I think they replicated it like probably uh, some amount of times. Meanwhile, just by doing it so many times. Yeah, and it's and it's decently designed and decently analyzed. They have the control group. They did, they, you know, they in many cases controlled for multiple comparisons and such. 
Yeah, I agreed. And the effect sizes actually are huge. If you look at the effect sizes, nowhere in psychology you can find the effect size like this. There is an effect size of 1.3 that's not significant. Like 1.3 in psychology. Well, I guess there is a lot of variance. Okay, no, no. I think Cohen's the 1.3. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's huge. That's because it's either grew back or not. There is nothing in between. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, uh, yeah. No, it seems like they have the continuous. Oh, percent. Okay, it's percent of an. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking from the perspective of like understanding the mechanism, right? It's not as abstract. Well, I guess I okay. So going back to what I want to see, I want to see like if if the if the water flow was so important for the jellyfish, what would be the equivalent of water flow? Like you need to develop some sort of task where the rat would need its one missing finger, and it would really want to grow it back. <laughs> Might sound weird, but I'm guessing there needs to be a need. There needs to be an urge, right? I think it will replicate. Yeah, I'm definitely, I, although it seems like a crazy amount of work, like this paper is nuts. There's so much cool stuff in it. I feel like this has to be like a nature science paper. Like root growing limbs. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> Frankenstein-y. Cool. So um, I guess that does it for this paper. So um, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.